just important, not just for women, just for everybody. Um, so uh, I was praying about uh, women's ministry and the women of our church, and I was praying and I was seeking the Lord, and I was like, Lord, who who is responsible for this? <laughs> like, and then I was like, Oh man, it's me. <laughs> like, so, um, so I, I was like, okay, well, I just need to, to own that, and um, I'm not going to be this. I'm not going to be every every time. But the goal of, of what I'm trying to do today is uh, set some foundation, some, some what I hope to be a healthy foundation uh, for healthy um, discipleship in general, uh, women's discipleship in particular. Before I get started, I just want to say there's some free resources if y'all don't have a study Bible or a study Bible in the translation we use on Sundays, you can, for you, okay? Y'all take it to the next level. You know how we do. And then um, this is uh, our discipleship uh, formation document. That's a fancy way of saying, if I tell somebody, I want you to disciple somebody, you're like, uh, all right, this, this is what I literally want you to do. And so we use the same thing. Uh, I've, I've used it with a family. I've used it in men's ministry. Um, I use it. There's somebody call me, but she's like supposed to be here. So. I'm, I'm go. Yeah, man. Google. Google. Um, anyway, so we use. I use this for um, evangelism. I've used this to disciple like people who don't know Jesus, all the way to people who got MDivs. Uh, the idea is that it's that it's easily uh, replicable, and we're going to go over some of it today. And so when I think about discipleship, I th- I want to cover two things today. The first one is the subject of friendship or community. I'm going to kind of use those words interchangeably. And the second one is the goal, the goal, the end goal of discipleship. And so if you are a reading individual, uh, I do have some book suggestions for you, but I'm also going to read you quotes from those books. But this is called The Four Loves. This is C.S. Lewis. There's a particular chapter on friendship. It's very helpful. And um, there's a book called Life Together by Diedrich Bonhoeffer. And this book is Messy, Beautiful Friendship. So this is how much I care about y'all. I'm reading a book for women's friendships, okay? All right. Um, and, but I, as I've read it, I'm like, she just really jacking Diedrich Bonhoeffer's ideas and repackaging it. So anyway, either, either way, there's some, some ideas there. But what I've noticed is that uh, there is a struggle. At, at just at being a pastor for a while, I've seen there be a struggle uh, with uh, women in our church trying to be friends. And so I was pondering, like, why, what is going on? Why is that? And, uh, and I, don't, I hear this from, like, people's, like, husbands and stuff. So this is secondhand information, <laughs> okay? <laughs> but, um, but what I hear is, um, you know, there's a lot of, like, wondering if, you know, so-and-so uh, will reciprocate my friendship, wondering what they think. And then there's even some, like, if, if the friendship doesn't go the way they wanted to go, there's like, a, is there something deficient with me? There, there's all these kind of thoughts going around. And so one thing I, I, I noticed kind of uh, early on about friendship in general is I remember when I went uh, from college and me, we Becca got married and we moved to Kentucky. One of the things we noticed off bat is like, why is it so much harder to make friends? Like we didn't, we didn't feel like we tried in college. We just, we just had them. They were just there. And then we move, and I'm like, this, I mean, 
it's really weird, man. We got a heart, but like, I try to be that dude's friend, and he wouldn't, you know. <laughs> and so we're just like, what is what is going on? Our, the equivalent might be uh, college or, or high school or your hometown. Basically, there there are some friendships, particularly when you're younger, that just they're just ingrained. You didn't you didn't have to work to get them, okay? And so what I want to say is there is a deep difference between built-in community versus hard-fought community. Okay, so if because we have these faulty expectations that are, the, the ability to make friends will be like it was when fill in the blank. And a lot of a lot of those those situations uh, were, were due to the life situation that we were in. So when I was in college, I wasn't married. I didn't have kids and I lived with other people. <laughs> and so it was very easy for us to just naturally fall into the rhythm of friendship. But as you, you get older, family, responsibilities, you know, what have you, it gets a little more complicated. And so the, the point is, if you look at a past time in your life, and I, as I've talked to people, people like have these, these golden years. Of like when I was here, it was great. You, you also need to think about what were the ingredients that, that are different than now. Okay? What, what are life stages? What is my life stage? And what are the life stages of people around me? And if either one of those things are different, then I can't expect the same thing. But that doesn't mean that I shouldn't fight for community, even if I can't, if I don't immediately uh, experience the same thing. And so I'm going to read you some, some quotes from the, some of the books I suggested. And this is uh, by C.S. Lewis. It says, friends hardly ever talk about their friendship. Lovers are normally face to face, absorbed in each other. Friends, side by side, absorbed in some common interest. Okay, so, so right off the bat, he's explaining that. I feel like what happens is when we look for friends or community, we're like, who do I like the most? Or who, do, who, who likes me the most? That's like our, our base thing. But in all actuality, genuine friendship is not first based on that thing. Like, romance is, but not friendship. Friendship is based upon, oh, you like that thing too? You'll even notice it's like some of, some of my friends, like people who have been my coworkers, we end up being friends, not because we're like similar in any kind of way, but because we have a common focus and the common focus fosters the relationship itself. OK, and so 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 friendship is based on common interests, not infatuation with the other person or vice versa. So having that. Uh, kind of set up in our minds, it's just very, very helpful. So when I'm, when I'm like scoping out who's going to be my friend, my, my goal isn't who is like me or who likes to, the, 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 the random other stuff. Now, the, the reality is we all here because of Jesus, okay? <laughs> that is why you here <laughs> in some way or another. So what is the common interest? Jesus. Jesus, okay? Um, we are uh, overly concerned that we find someone like us rather than pressing in to what we like and then seeing who is around us. All right, so we press in to what we like. And if we're Christians, what's at the top shelf is Christ Jesus. We press into what we like and then we're like, who, who, is, who is near me? Um, another quote, it says, this is from C.S. Lewis. It says, the very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. So if you go around like, I want friends, usually, I don't know how many, like, people are, that, that's not like a, a, a viable common interest. That's, that's, not, that's, not, that's not the thing that's going to pull you 
together. But I think about the friendships I have that people don't, don't, don't even live near me anymore. Uh, I got friendships in Asia and Latin America and different parts of the United States is because there is the common interest of Christ holding us together. And if you go into other interests, there, it's not like we the same. There, there's, there is a lot, there's not a lot of overlap other than Christ and his love for the church and his love for people who do not know him. All right, so this, this is a quote from this book. Christine Hoover says, uh, spoiler, spoiler alert, we find that friendship is a byproduct of being more concerned with others than ourselves. So again, if we come in there thinking, I need some friends, you, you already know that your chief concern is you. But if you begin to serve others and to serve uh, others with others, you will find people with commonality. And it's really some of the principles of, of Christian discipleship. I mean, what is, what is the greatest commandment? You should love the Lord your God, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, right? So, so if, if, you're, if you're outward focusing above and outward focusing kind of horizontally, we can trust the Lord to bring alongside people who will have the same type of focus that we have. When we, when we search for friendship, when the search for friendship is solely self-serving, we will not have good friends. When we are full of Christ and want to help others, we find genuine, long-lasting friends. The, the interesting thing is, I'll tell you about two friendships I have. Uh, one with my friend named Greg. We met in college. When I met him, he, was, he already dressed like he was a Southern Baptist pastor, okay? <laughs> he, all, <laughs> he was from rural North Carolina, like, he loves to read biographies of, of Ronald Reagan. Like, we are not, like, it's just, it's not, like, it's not like we just go click. We don't just mesh. But I talked to him this week, and, and he's, he's pastor of a church in rural Kentucky. So, like, our lives are not similar. The, the churches are not similar. Context is not similar. But we had, we had a conversation, and afterwards we texted each other. We said, man, our, our hearts are so full. Because we, we have shared this deep fellowship in Christ. Again, like he was like, do you, when we were in college, like, do you want to go, go golfing? I'm like, no, I don't. You know, I, you know he's listening to, to John Mayer and I'm listening to Lecrae. You know, it's just, it's just different. You feel me? But, but the, the friendship itself was not built off of, you know, do you like me? It was like, but, but we different. But we share this commonality, which is Christ. We share this commonality, which is seeking to serve others. And that actually pulls different people together. One of my other friendships that is, is funny sometimes, and I'll tell you why it's funny, is, is John Smith. So when we go out to eat, all right, it's a pre-COVID, okay? We're out to eat, like we're at Gus's or something down the street. And John always likes to tell people that I'm his pastor, right? So, so, the, so the, wait, the waitress comes, and he's like, this is my pastor. And they're just like, <laughs> like it's not computing. <laughs> like, but but in, all, like in all honesty, in all honesty, John Smith is one of my best friends. And we don't share a lot in common. He's talking about watching the World Cup. I, I, wanna, I don't want to watch no soccer. That's boring to me. I want to watch football. Okay, like it's it's not. I mean, we come from different parts. We're different age range. We have, he spent years in Africa. I, I, like it's just completely different sets of life. But the commonality in Christ and the commonality of wanting to serve others 
actually draws us together and overcomes the various differences that in real life I would like if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, I would not be friends with Greg and I would not be friends with John. There's no way there's no just it just wouldn't happen. Okay, Um, this is uh, I want to read you a quote from Diedrich Bonhoeffer. It's it's a little lengthy, but but listen to it. Okay, he says the man who fashions himself a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God, by others, and by himself. He enters the community of Christians with his demands, sets up his own law, and judges between the brethren and God himself accordingly. When things do not go his way, he calls the effort a failure. So he becomes an accuser of the brethren, then an accuser of God, and finally the despairing accuser of himself. In layman's terms, he's saying some people love the idea of community more than they actually love the people in it. And if you love the idea of community more than you love the actual people in it, you will end up destroying what you want. Because you will always be frustrated because it doesn't fit your ideal. Whatever the ideal is. You know, we all have different, that's, that's the issue. We all have different sets of what is the ideal. But we have an ideal. This is my ideal friend. This is my I, ideal church. This is my ideal small group. Whatever. The ideal is, is something lofty and usually not reachable and usually nostalgic, not taking into account the various life factors that made that that way. And so, I mean, as everybody has to be um, cognizant of this because we, the, the holy ideals that we have can destroy what we want. And so this is a very interesting thing. So I see this a lot uh, in, in planting our church. People are like, you know, I really want a church that, that believes in, in justice. And I want a church that strives for uh, multi-ethnicity. And I, you know, I want a church that, that does these things. But they don't understand that those very things make it harder. <laughs> it, it, it generally, like, it, it, it would be easier if we were homogenous. It would be easier if we were not concerned with social issues to be a cohesive unit. And so the ideal is like, man, it's going to be awesome. But then when you get in, you're like, oh, man, we different. So, so, like, so then I, what happens over and over and over again is people say, man, I, I like the idea of what you're doing, but it's too hard. Because they fell in love with the ideal versus the actual people. So this is, this is just so important that we understand this. And we understand this because we understand something about the doctrine of sin. We don't, we don't even live up to our own expectations. So why in the world are we getting mad at people for not living up to our secret expectations that we didn't even communicate? You know what I mean? Like, you're like, you didn't do what I wanted you to do. You ain't say that. You know, like, so, so, so if we understand an, uh, a, this idea of grace that we don't live up to God's expectations, we don't live up to... Our expectations, people are not going to live up to what we expect of them. Then we can already have a sense of, of grace when we are, we are dealing with these things. Okay, let's see. Oh, here's one last thing. When we get frustrated with the actual people or the lack of the people that we want in the community, we actually are not trusting in God's sovereignty. God is the one who puts people together. 
Now, I know we, we make choices. I'm not saying we don't make no choices. But at the end of the day, when all is said and done, you can't simply, I wish people would, I wish, I would, no, 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 no. We trust that God is the one who orchestrated this whole thing. All right. And then I think, well, because God has given me these people, the people in front of me, whether they're like me or not, these are the people that I am supposed to love and serve. So, again, we need to understand the necessity of Christian friendship or community being centered on Christ himself. I'm going to tell you what I've seen. For some reason, there's this there's this thought that floats around that says, you know, if we were real friends, it would be centered on something other than Christ. We got to find this other thing that we like together. Then it will be real. And, and, and it, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Because what draws us together, what's fundamentally most important is Christ himself. And if it's not centered on Christ, then we will have a, well, really, we'll have a superficial, this is what happens. So when when, uh, I was talking to a guy, and he was like, he was investigating the church. He's like, should I come to this church? And he was like, I really, really had, like, really, really good community at my last church. I was like, okay, explain it to me. He's like, while I was in college, I was like, oh. <laughs> and, then, and, you know, we went to this church, and I know the church. And I was like, it was in, that's, that's, I know it's homogenous. Y'all all the same age, and y'all come from the same. And so I said, look, fam, look, <laughs> if you're you not going to get what that is, that's not what you're going to get here. So if that is of chief importance, then go on somewhere else because <laughs> that's not what it is. And so it's just important to have that up. So the, uh, the unity of Christ is first a unity of need. We all share this same fundamental need. We experience guilt and shame because of sin, sin that we commit and sin that has been committed against us. Now, no matter our different identities, we all share two that we all share. It's we are both sinners and we are both sufferers, every single one of us. And that can be our commonality in our need. And so, so sometimes you're like, well, how do I relate to her? She's different. Well, in the, at the most fundamental sense, the shared guilt of sin and the shared shame of being sinned against is what can actually draw you together because then you point to the solution. So Christ calls people from every tribe, tongue, family group. All right, we all share that commonality of need, the the diversity of the recipients, okay? So it doesn't matter what race, culture, income, experience, whatever thing you want to line, we all share the fundamental need, and we all have the same solution, which is Christ himself. And then we have to understand that there is a camaraderie of a shared treasure. So when you go to a football game, you go to Clemson, and like all these people are just wilding out. Ah, C, L, you know, there's nah, you know, like they're probably like even though they all like have the commonality of Clemson, they are not all the same. But the commonality actually draws them together. And so this, the, the, the issue is sometimes we have to check ourselves and say, well, is my treasure even Christ? Am I treasuring something else? Therefore, I'm getting in the way of God's design for me to have the friends that would help me to pursue him. The unifying feature, again, is Christ. Now, here's a cool thing. Now, as I get closer to someone, as we both seek the Lord together, there are needs that are met along the way. 
right? So if you're in trouble, she's in trouble, they're having a hard time, like you like you kind of reach out to who's by you. Now, if you've been already drawing close to Christ and closer to each other because of Christ, then you can look around like, oh, these are the people. These are the people that help me. So when I think about people who tangibly help me and my family, they are not the people who always look like me. They're not the people who always came from the same background. They are the people that I've been seeking Christ together with. And when hard times come, they are there. And over time, that trust is built over and over and over again because who is around me proximity-wise is the same people who are seeking Christ with me. So the goal of, of, of friendship, Christian friendship, is that we would cherish and follow Christ together. That, that is the only way that God is going to pull these people who have different interests, different needs together. All right. Friendship. That's there. Goal. Okay. What is, I want to talk more about the goal of discipleship. Okay. Matthew 28, 19 and 20, it says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So I think there's a subtle, there's, there's two kind of ways you can think about discipleship. One, a very, a very predominant way in America, is I need to accumulate as much knowledge about God as I can. It's very, like, it's very common here. Let me just, I, you know, let me read the, the book or study the text. or I, I just need to accumulate as much knowledge as I can. But I think that is a faulty reading of what Jesus said. He said, teach them to what? Obey. obey. <laughs> teach them to obey. Now, obviously, you have to know the stuff in order to, to obey it. But it is a very different motivation to say, I'm going to just accumulate knowledge because it's interesting to me. Or I am going to accumulate knowledge so that I can obey. And that changes the type of accountability that we have as well. So it's not simply, do we, do we know the same stuff? That's, that's not, no, that's not what we're talking about. Do we obey what he said? And so this, that means it's actually applicable no matter how, where your knowledge level is. If it's low, well, do you obey what you know? <laughs> Let's not worry about all these different uh, complex things if you're not even obeying what you already know he said. Here, here's the, the danger of just basing discipleship purely off of knowledge. 1 Corinthians 13 says, knowledge by itself does what? It puffs up. Knowledge by itself puffs up. It's prideful. It is pharisaical. Okay? The Pharisees, the biggest enemies of Jesus, were not his enemies because they didn't know the Old Testament. It's because they didn't obey. Like Jesus said, man, you're, you're obeying all these little things, but you don't even love like justice and mercy. Like you, you're, you're missing the main point by getting all the weeds. Okay? So, so and the, the one last thing, and this, this is, I want you to hear this. If I accumulate biblical and theological knowledge without the intent of obeying, I am increasing judgment for myself. And you instinctually know this because, like, if, if your kid does something wrong, but he didn't know, you're more lenient, right? You're like, oh, well, you ain't know. But if, if you're like, I didn't told you. We have already had this conversation. Okay, so it, it's, it is, it's not spiritually neutral to gain knowledge without the intent of obe obedience. It's spiritually dangerous that we are increasing our judgment on the day that we stand before Christ. Because we can't say we didn't know.
Okay, so that's why it's like when it's a it's a very solemn thing to seek to understand God and the scriptures, because I can't seek to understand it without then going. But I have to obey it. That that's why obedience is the goal of discipleship. If I am a, a, a good pastor and you are, are good sisters in the Lord, you'll say, hey, this is our goal that we would be obeying together. Because ultimately, the goal of biblical knowledge is not simply knowledge, but it's love. Matthew twenty-two thirty-four. Jesus said to them, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. So we're learning to love when we study the scriptures, not simply to scratch an intellectual itch. And they're like, well, how do you measure love? John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, you will keep my commands. Okay, so love is displayed not in simply the knowledge of the scriptures, but in the obedience to the scriptures. All right, I'm almost done. One thing I'm going to explain a little bit of this because I want you to y'all are going to follow um, this process when y'all are doing discipleship. But I wanted y'all to have the baseline again. We're not just. This is interesting. I hope it is interesting, by the way. But like, that's not that's not the ultimate goal. Is we have to encourage one another so that we actually obey it, okay? And so we, our discipleship process is called Eat, Read, Pray. It's simple. It ain't complicated. It's, but it's supposed to call us to obedience. So y'all already did the first part. Congratulations, right? <laughs> <laughs> but when you eat, you usually don't sit in silence, right? I mean, like, it would be really awkward. So like when you, the idea is eat is, is surrounding fellowship. Jesus, he got in trouble all the time because they say, you always eat with sinners, Jesus. And it's like, yeah, that's what I came to do. You know, <laughs> so eating together, uh, developing a communion, fellowship, talking with one another. And then read is the scriptures. Every time Jesus would talk, they would ask him a question and he would say something like, well, have you not read? Have you not heard? He's always pointing back to the text. And so uh, I think y'all are going to be in John. Is that right? So so when y'all are taking chunks uh, of, of John and, and going to read it for the sake of obedience, uh, I have uh, four questions that we ask of the text. Four questions. The first one is what stands out? So a lot of times when you read something and something just hops up in your face, that's probably the spirit saying pay attention. Okay, so what stands out? What does this teach us about God? Because fundamentally, we're trying to learn about him and obey him. I was reminded, I actually forgot this the other day. Caleb was like, you remember that time that somebody got mad at your preaching because they said it was too much about God? I was like, I do remember that. <laughs> Y'all be talking about God too much. I'm like, well, I, I guess that's okay. You know, like, but, but what does it teach us about God? Again, we're not trying to get philosophical. We don't have to get complex. If it says God is loving, that's cool. <laughs> God loves people. God cares about this. God doesn't like that. Like, just vet, like what does it teach us about God? And what does it teach, uh, teach us about people? What people kind of usually do, what they ought to do. And finally, how do I specifically obey? Now, usually when I ask this question, people say something like, well, I obey by obeying. Well, yeah, yeah, I know. But like, like, when you read the scripture, what is the spirit telling you to do? Because if it doesn't get practical, then it stays in kind of ethereal land. It's up there. But if I get practical among the people that I am studying with, then I can go, hey, did you do the thing? <laughs> did you do the thing that the Lord called you to do? And then uh, the last one is pray. 
And a lot of times when you ask people, how can I pray for you? Depending on who you ask, they go, ah, uh, uh, you know. <laughs> so we just ask two questions. What are you thankful for? What are you stressed about? The things that you're thankful for, we praise God for. The things that you're stressed about, we pray for each other. Now, listen, like I said, I've done this with MDiv. Like, in the Welcome Leadership Development, I had a school program. Uh, a, a middle schooler led it the other day <laughs> because it's, you're there. It's, she did a good job, you know. <laughs> but the, the idea is it needs to be reclable. Rec, rec, you know what I'm saying. Um, and okay, the last thing I'll say, and this is... Um, this is a, 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 a pastoral burden that I have. So as you know, we have people in our community uh, that, that need stuff. They need things relationally. They need to be discipled. And so as I have done ministry in our community, and as I've met people, and particularly as I have met women, single moms, things like that, I'm like, I need somebody to disciple them. And I want to like just throw them at like Somebody get them. <laughs> I need there to be a cohesive unit that when I find somebody needy, there's somebody to catch them. This is important to the mission because there is a limit to how I can disciple women. Yeah, that's, that's understandable. But if there is not a cohesive women's discipleship, there are, there are, it's not hypothetical. There are tangible people in our community that are literally falling through the discipleship cracks because I don't have anybody to throw them to. And so for the sake of Christ, for the sake of your growth, and for the sake of the mission, it is so important that there is a cohesive women's discipleship at our church that is built around nothing other than Christ and seeking to obey him. And y'all, listen, when there are opportunities to help people, tangibly help people, that only adds to the level of fellowship and camaraderie that you can already have in Christ. Because when there's a common mission, when there's a common mission, there is camaraderie in that mission. Okay, so that's, that's my desire. Like, okay, review. Our friendship in Christ is it's not based on we had the same experience, we had the same growing. If it's based on any, all, any of that, it'll fail. It's not based on past friends. It's based on Christ in the present. And the way that, that I can really press into that is by cherishing Christ myself and by cherishing Christ with other people. That's how the friendship can grow. Our discipleship in the Women's Bible Study Fellowship is not simply about gaining knowledge. It's about growing in obedience. And finally, the cohesion. Again, I'm not trying to tell you to build on any other thing but Christ. The cohesion of the women's discipleship is directly correlative to how effective we can minister and serve hurting people in our community. Okay? Um, that's what I have to say.